0: In our study of the moral character of God, we now consider the question, what do we know about the wisdom of God from the Bible? And that great passage in the 11th chapter of Romans and verse 33 comes before us. "O the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out! In our study of the nature of god we have used the word attribute in our endeavor to classify the many biblical revelations an attribute is simply something that is true concerning a person or thing it is a description of some quality of being or character a conclusion as to something that is true thus an attribute of god is a cataloging of a fact concerning God, the total number of such facts giving us a true picture of God. As we have proceeded with this all important inquiry from the Bible, we have noticed that there appears to be a twofold classification of revealed facts. There are one class of characteristics which appear to be inherent or involuntary or that exist apart from the action of God's will. They are necessary endowments that God possesses or natural characteristics. They belong to God's essence or being apart from His activity and are the factors that determine the extent of God's activities. We have seen that the Bible, on every hand, ascribes personality to God and that there are a trinity of personalities in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Natural attributes ascribed to the Godhead or those qualities of essential being that do not involve free actions of will are as follows. eternity or an endless duration of existence, omnipresence or an ability to be present in all places at the same time, omniscience or an immeasurable knowledge of all knowable things, and finally omnipotence or an unbounding power or energy of being. We human mortals cannot expect, certainly, To comprehend to any complete degree the greatness of these qualities for then we would be gods ourselves nevertheless by virtue of our having been created in the image of god we can have a satisfying appreciation for the greatness of the godhead we are conscious of occupying a short duration of time here on earth and can form some comprehension of what an endless existence would be like we are constantly aware of our area of contact and observations and multiply this by all space to conceive something of god's greatness we are aware further of a knowledge of many facts and can expand our imagination to at least see that there are untold facts in existence That God must certainly know. We have within us power or energy of personality to do things, and a force of motivation to accomplish certain purposes, and can form thus some idea of what God's unlimited power must be like. As the Apostle Paul said, we see through a glass darkly, but certainly it is that we do see something through the glass of our limitation. God is simply ourselves multiplied by an unlimited quantity. In these words we have discussed the equipment of the Godhead and ours with which moral action is to be undertaken. What we call natural attributes are not properly activities, although of course, We cannot conceive of a personality without at the same time thinking of personal activity. To live is to do things, but we must first discuss the endowments of personality before we can seek to view its actions. Natural attributes are things that are true of such personalities and determine the extent or effectiveness of such beings we have been in the process of dealing with the moral actions of the godhead or what are known as moral attributes these involve voluntary actions of choice a state of will a disposition to do thus and so simply because one so chooses and for no other reason To be able to so dispose oneself, there must be an ability of intellect, first of all. There must also be an appreciation of emotion or some evaluation of what is going on in the heart and personality in life. There must also be a provision of free will or an ability of self-determination. And finally, an availability of moral light, or an understanding of what is right and proper in our activity. These we have seen that God possesses in an unmeasured abundance and therefore have gone a step further to inquire what God has done with these great endowments of His personality. It is a characteristic of free will that it cannot be exercised partly in one direction and partly in another direction at the same time. The will is a unit and can either choose to be virtuous or to conform to moral light, or to be selfish and refuse to conform or follow truth with all impartiality. God has chosen to be governed by the great truth of his reason in all his moral actions, or has made an ultimate choice of virtue and impartiality as the great law that shall govern all his actions this voluntary choice constitutes the essence of god's moral character the higher word for love is used in referring to god it is not an emotion but an act of will it is a voluntary disposition of benevolence Thus, when the Bible makes the profound and glorious statement that God is love, it simply means that God has utterly denied self-interest as an end of his existence and has chosen to do all that he does out of motives of pure and unmixed benevolence. Thus none shall be able to find anything wrong with any of God's actions because they conform to His great intelligence and are not in any sense arbitrary. For this reason the Bible represents all moral beings who are in a state of mind and knowledge to properly evaluate God as declaring that God is holy. Isaiah, you recall, had a vision of the holy beings of heaven as they declared with the greatest of reverence, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. As we read in his sixth chapter, verse 3. The Apostle John, with his telescope set toward heaven at the end of the Apostolic Age, visualized the heavenly beings as saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come as recorded in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. Thus holiness is not some fixity in the nature of God, but a descriptive term of veneration toward God in view of the fact that God in His great incomprehensible being has chosen to be absolutely virtuous and righteous in all His actions. Holiness is therefore An attribute of the benevolent life of love that God has chosen it is therefore a quality or something that is true concerning God's manner of life but as we have seen other things are true of this life of love or benevolence since God is absolutely impartial toward all his actions toward all will be perfectly right and proper or a second attribute of love will be that of righteousness. All of God's moral relations with his creatures will be so characterized. God will treat men just at the present time. He will summon all to a bar of judgment to properly evaluate their character and then will reward men for their deeds forever after. So the great god is a god of righteousness and righteousness is an attribute or quality of his great and glorious choice of love but since sin has darkened god's beautiful moral realm it is to be expected that a god of such abundant kindness would take steps of mercy to reconcile man back to himself if such could be done consistent with all the problems that were involved and how great were these problems there was of course the problem of God's moral government as to how God could forgive sin consistently with the welfare of his moral beings there was the problem of manifesting how God himself feels concerning the tragedy of sin and concerning all the wounds that had been brought to his heart because of man's unappreciative attitude and his persistent rebellion in spite of all God's overtures of mercy then there is the necessity that man's heart shall be truly humbled so that God need no longer resist the proud but can give grace to the humble so great were these problems thus loving kindness and mercy is described as another feature of the divine character, a crowning attribute of moral character of love. This has manifested itself in great long-suffering and patience with man's rebellion and in countless acts of grace and further in the free pardon of repentant sinners through the great atonement of Christ. This totally unmerited favor in making such glorious provisions of grace to reconcile man back to himself and grant to man greater blessings than ever have unloosed a new fountain of worship in the hearts of those responding. The Apostle John pictures this throng as saying, Unto him that loved us and washed or loosed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen as we read in Revelation chapter 1 5 and 6 but we shall have to continue with the wisdom of God at our next meeting our Heavenly Father how grateful we are for thy great and kind love that thou hast taken such steps of mercy and has manifested Thy great and glorious character. How we thank Thee for Thy invitation to men to repent of all sin, to come to the cross of Christ by faith, and there find forgiveness and reconciliation. We pray that many may do so. In Jesus' name, amen.